And on the other side, what are questions that I ask when I'm an interviewer? I'm most focused on ensuring that you can think in a logical way and you can think your way to an answer. Like you don't need the right answer right away. I just want to be able to see that you're able to go through that thought process and be dynamic and like humble throughout it. Sometimes I'll ask questions like, tell me about a time when you had to trade off between speed and quality, or tell me about a time that you had a difficult deadline that was approaching. How did you organize? How did you get stakeholder buy-in? Things like that. I'll also sometimes ask questions about like, how would your teammates describe you? Do you think they would describe you accurately to get a sense of what they're like and how they think? And so remember that interviews are two ways. Like they really want you to contribute equally, right? And so I've seen situations where folks are so focused in getting their experiences across that they forget to engage in some of the questions that are a little bit more future focused. We have all heard the phrase, follow your passion and everything will fall into place. But I also can't help but to think of another very popular phrase, which is, some things are much easier said than done. You're listening to Unsweet and Unfilter, the podcast, episode 12 of season four. I find it funny that when I was younger and I was asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? My response was one that was very confident and it came with no hesitation. Mind you, I was only five years old at the time. But if you were to ask me this same question today, I would be confident in saying I actually don't know. Now, this isn't to say it's a bad thing to not be able to pinpoint what it is that you want to do for the rest of your life. And that's because we're finally realizing we're multifaceted beings who are constantly growing, learning, and embracing different versions of ourselves. Of course, change can be frightening, especially in today's world, which is laced with so much uncertainty. But what do you do if you no longer enjoy the career path you have chosen for yourself? In today's episode, I have an insightful conversation with none other than Mario Chowdhury, who is a chief of staff at Uber, content creator, and your big sis in tech. Chances are you have come across a post or video of Mario's Instagram, which is Life with Mars, where she shares her business tips and advice for working women, her love of modest fashion and beauty, and where she documents her adventures as a foodie in NYC. So what is the secret of those who do make it to the other side, the ones who take the leap and pivot careers? In this conversation, Maria shares her career transition journey from pre-med to finance and her most recent role in tech. We navigate the ways in which one can leverage their skills and their network to successfully pivot careers. Fear of failure may be at the forefront of our minds, but Maria discusses her own personal experiences with self-doubt and finding the confidence within her that is needed to move forward. As Muslim women in today's society, how can we show up as our full selves in the workplace without compromising our beliefs and faith? Let's dive in. Thank you so much for joining me today, Maria. Honestly, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I can't wait to discuss, you know, balancing our identity in the workplace, pivoting careers and so much more. But I would love for you to, inshallah, first introduce yourself and then we can get right into it. Thank you for having me, Dunya. Hey, everyone. I'm really excited to talk to you today about being a Muslim woman in the workplace, as well as pivoting your career and various other things. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Maria. I am living in New York City, but I'm originally from Southern California. I went to the University of Southern California, so fight on. (laughs) And in university, I studied neuroscience. I was actually pre-med and business and then went into a career in finance in investment banking. And that's when I moved to New York to start 
start my career here. I spent a few years in finance and then I moved into tech and I've been in tech for four years and I've worked within multiple roles within tech like strategy, operations, and most recently chief of staff. So that's a little bit about me outside of work. I like to explore the city. I like to try new restaurants and I actually like to create content. So I create content on Instagram and uh, excited to tell you more about that. As I've told you before, Mari, I absolutely love your content. I love your snaps. You share a plethora of resources and, you know, everybody can benefit to those who are looking for a new job, to those who are pivoting careers and to those who are in their current job and they're enjoying it and they kind of want to build upon their skills and whatnot. So I appreciate you for sharing all these resources. And it's super, super helpful, especially for those who maybe don't feel like they have the support group that understands, you know, where they are in their career. So to have somebody that is sharing these resources and these helpful tips, honestly, is always such a benefit. So thank you again for that. I do want to focus on on you pivoting careers. And I think this is something why I want to focus on is because for others or for people even like me, I've been very comfortable in my finance slash accounting role for eight plus years of my life. It was just recently that I finally transitioned out and I pivoted careers and and now I'm working for a startup that I'm super, super excited about. But for you, you went from pre-med to finance to tech. And I know a lot of people are intrigued by your journey and I would love for you to share any tidbits about it and helpful tips and, and how you did it. Yeah, happy to tell you more about that. I started my career pre-med and a lot of the reason there was I grew up in a Desi immigrant household and I was really only exposed to three careers. Like it was doctor, engineer, or lawyer. And there was nothing (laughs) else that I was physically available to. You know, my mom was a doctor. My dad was in technology, like engineering. And that's all I really understood, knew, and thought was my possibility. I'm the oldest of three sisters. And so, uh, and also the first of my family to go to school in the U.S. And so a lot of it was like trial and error and, and not really knowing what was available to me. So we went into medicine because I was like, well, I like science and my mom's a doctor and like, it sounds better than being a lawyer and engineer. So that's where I started. And college was actually the time where I started to think for myself. And I started to be exposed to all these studies and careers that I just didn't know existed. That's where I started to discover the ability to work in quote unquote business, because I didn't know what that meant. Like I thought working in business meant starting your own business or being an entrepreneur. But I had no idea that there were so many careers within the corporate world. The first piece of advice I would say is like, if you go to a university, go to one and you're kind of unsure about what you want to do, go to one that promotes learning across majors. So there are certain universities that like to have engineers be engineers and lawyers be lawyers. But other universities like USC love the idea of like we had a renaissance scholar. So it was like studying very disparate things. And so I actually started um, right away and I minored in business because my thought was maybe I'll set up a clinic and it'll be helpful to have a business like degree as well. It was only a minor, but I really enjoyed those courses. I actually thought they were more suited to my skill set because a lot of them were very interactive and strategic and, and interesting and not as like science driven. And so what I started to do was I signed up for the career newsletter at my university and I would get like weekly internship updates. And so my sophomore year, I was going through a bit of a like crisis because I knew that I wasn't enjoying like my pre-med requirements. Like I like neuroscience. I think that was an interesting 
nursing major. But I knew that if I was going to be a doctor, it was a 10-year path. And if I was already dreading research or dreading clinicals or dreading all these things, like what was I doing? And so I decided to apply to an internship at JP Morgan. And it was actually just through a program that I discovered through the career website at my university. It was called Winning Women. And it was focused on bringing women into the like workspace and banking specifically. So if you're a woman or a person of color, like there are so many of these like programs that big companies that focus on diversity and inclusion, and you just have to look for them. And so I found this program and it just said it was a free trip to New York. And I didn't realize this is actually an interview, but I had never been to New York. And I was like, let me do this. That's so exciting. Yeah, I went through that program and luckily I passed the interview. But basically what I did was for two weeks, I did a crash course in accounting and I learned it by myself and just like did my best to study a hundred different questions to break into investment banking. And for those of you who know me on Instagram, you can always DM me. Like I have these resources linked. They're all free resources, like YouTube videos and PDFs. And so I self-taught, learned everything about accounting, got the internship and then worked in investment banking for two summers and then came back full time as an analyst. And so I did that for a little bit. And that was like my first break in into uh, the corporate world. And then to tech, it's like a whole nother story. But basically what I did was while I was working in investment banking, I think it's super important to try to find the, if you think of like a Venn diagram, to find the intersection of what you're good at and what you want to do. So if you find the intersection of those two, you're going to find like what you like doing as well as what you're good at doing. And I think that was key for me. So when I started to think about my time in banking, I was good at the financial aspect, like the analytics and the deal modeling and those kind of things, but I didn't enjoy that. I was also good at the strategic piece, like the growth side, advisory, consulting, like those kind of things. And I did enjoy that. So then when I was looking for my next step, I was like, how can I do more of that? How can I do more of the strategic advisory? And so then I decided instead of going deeper in finance, let me go to a tech high growth tech company where I can do this kind of strategic work. I literally just picked up my phone and looked for the top applications that I used and narrowed it down to like three, four companies that I was invested in as a consumer, not just an employee and applied and moved there. So I'll stop there because we can go different directions, but that's like a general overview. <laughs> no, I absolutely love everything that you're sharing. And you know, transferable skills are something that you really need to heavily focus on if you're pivoting careers and maybe even not pivoting careers. You're just, you know, obviously making a lateral move, but this is still important. Something to really, really highlight when it comes to my transferable skills. And I think also what allowed me to kind of understand what it is that I'm looking for is, like you said, what are the things that I really enjoyed doing within my accounting role? And I absolutely enjoyed project management management, communications, digital media. I absolutely love those. And that's why, you know, within my new role, I get to delve a little bit more into that. And that's why I'm so, so excited for that. How did you find that support in kind of switching or pivoting these career paths? And and how did you even have the confidence to be able to kind of like trust in yourself and not have self-doubt kind of sneak in and tell you, no, you should stick to where you're at and what you studied? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually didn't have a lot of the support. And that's part of the reason that I started creating content on my own. So folks can have the support that I didn't have. Because I think often when you're the first in your family to do something, or you're the first in a certain community to do something, it's just not readily available. Like the communities that you need to tap into the networks, like I, I didn't have that. And so part of what I learned was by observing my peers that were in the corporate 
job that I was in. So I was watching like my other banking friends seeing what they were doing. Most of them were going deeper into finance, but I had seen one or two go into tech. They were like going into operations roles within tech. I was like, that's interesting. Like, what does that entail? And so now like we have so many online resources, like even if you were to just go to YouTube and search like pivoting from finance to tech, like you could find a video of someone who's done it. And so or even LinkedIn learning, which has been such a useful tool, like just anything you want to learn, you got so many courses to support you. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I think my advice would be to like widen your viewpoint of like who you can learn from. I think you can learn from really anyone and any resource out there. It doesn't have to be a physical person that you know personally. And so for me, I was really just learning by observing. I was YouTubing. I was watching my peers. I was trying to understand what it looks like. And then also tapping into your own network. So once I was pointed in the direction of operations within tech, I then went into LinkedIn and I searched like operations manager, USC, right? And like tried to find people within my network. And I actually found someone who was a friend of a friend. Like I knew her, but not super well. It was like, I knew her as a friend of a friend and she happened to be working in an operations role at the tech company that I was interested in. And so that was how I got in touch. I was, I asked like the equivalent of, Hey, Donia, can you introduce me to Samantha or whoever it is? And, and they said, yes. And so that person I'm using different names, but Samantha then put in a referral for me to work at Uber. And that's how it went. So I think that's the best path because it's funny story, which I recently shared on my Instagram was I applied directly on the Uber website and I got rejected. Like I got an (laughs) auto rejection email. The day later, my friend Samantha refer me and then I got an interview literally for the same role with the same resume with the same everything. And so that's like a firsthand experience of referrals work. Like you will bypass the black hole (laughs) that goes into like up there. And so for me, the confidence really just came. Honestly, it didn't come until the first interview. Like you have to fake it until you make it. And so I think I didn't have that confidence early on. But once I hit the first interview and then advanced to the next stage, I was like, oh, they don't think I'm a fraud. Like even though I don't have the four to six years of work experience that they're asking for, or I don't come from a certain background, they liked my skill set, they advanced me to the next round. So there must be something there. And so that's when I started gaining that confidence. And until then, it was just like, really just hyping myself up and being like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Truly, what is the worst that can happen in this interview? I just get no. And that's it, right? Like, but the best that can happen is I get a job out of this opportunity. And so my advice would be to look from within for the confidence. If you don't have the confidence, just do it without. (laughs) You don't need the confidence. The confidence will come, but just don't um, self-sabotage and really just over-prepare. So I find that the more confident you are, sometimes the less you need to prepare because you can showcase those skills better. But if you're not confident, then over-prepare, like really understand the company, do your research, do your job interview prep, and then you'll feel more confident just by the sheer knowledge. I completely agree with that. Because again, when you're pivoting careers, you do have some bit of that confidence because you're excited about getting a new job, interviewing for a new job. But then also, this is a whole completely different field. You can only know so much about it until you're in that interview process. And so what I was doing, I was over preparing. And I absolutely find that very resourceful. It's just such a helpful tip to be able to kind of create a Google Doc, which I did any company I applied for, and that I was 100% certain that I would be really excited if I, I was given the opportunity to interview there, I would create a Google Doc, I would label it like about the company, 
What was some recent news about the company? Why were they in the news? And what are they looking for? And then every skill that they were looking for, I made sure to kind of like pinpoint why I have that skill myself and how can I showcase that? If they're looking for somebody that's organized, let me show you all the projects that I worked on at the same time with a quick 24-hour window turnaround and I was able to complete all these tasks because I'm organized. Communication skills, I was a communications lead. You just have to build yourself up. So yeah, there's partially fake it till you make it and then kind of amplify yourself and what you've done at your current role. But then also make sure, yeah, you kind of write these things down because sometimes in these interviews, your nerves can really get the best of you and you can kind of almost forget everything. So I do highly recommend, like you said, creating a Google Doc or something with all this information on there. And then you utilize your resources. And when it comes to your network, like it is super helpful. And that's what I did. I found my job on LinkedIn. And another way that I did it was also reaching out to the hiring manager. Sometimes they don't list that, but you can honestly just search their company, look at their people who works there, and then just look for who their talent management is. So these are all great tips. Can we talk about the whole referral process of how you kind of connected yourself to somebody? And it's like, how do you get out of that comfort zone and not feel like sometimes, because again, when you're the eldest and when you feel like you always have to do everything on your own, how are you able to allow somebody else to kind of help you in the process to get out of your comfort zone and tell somebody, hey, I'm really interested in this job. How can we connect in order for me to maybe possibly, you know, receive an interview and receive an invitation to interview? Yeah, that's a, um, it's sometimes a difficult path, especially if they're not a direct, if they're a direct contact, like they're your friend or their family member, that's easy. Like you can get that going. But if they're a friend of a friend, like in my case, one thing you have to remember, and I didn't realize was that many tech companies offer employee referral bonuses for referring a qualified candidate. So if someone went to work at Uber and they were qualified, if I refer them and they actually get a job and work at the company for a certain amount of time, then then I get a bonus. And so when I started to realize that there are dual benefits, that's when I started to feel like I was less bothering people, quote unquote, and more like presenting them with an opportunity. And that's something that you have to realize is that there is this incentive program that exists, but you have to make the referral easy for the person. I get so many DMs, Dunya, of people who want referrals, but the work is not done on their part, right? If you were to send me a message like, hey, I'd like a referral to work at Microsoft, that's a, a very hard message to respond to versus if you were to send me, hi, Maria, I'm really interested in working at Microsoft. These are the two roles that I'm interested in and I'm qualified for them because of XYZ. Here's my resume. If you think there's a fit, can you put in a referral? Like this is a script that I've actually shared on Instagram before. It makes the job so easy because that is all I need to put in a referral for you. I could do that in one minute and I'm done. Versus if you ask me for time to chat or time to look over your resume, that's a very different ask. And I wouldn't ask that of someone who you don't know well. So my advice on the referral is know your audience, truly know how comfortable this person is with you and how comfortable they are vouching for you. If they're not, make their job really easy and just ask for the referral, give them all the things they need. If you know them well, then you can ask for critique on your resume, but don't bombard them with too many, what we call CTAs, so call to actions. Like you should have one call to action in your outreach. It should either be a referral, a coffee chat, or a resume review, but in that order of ease, right? Like it's easiest to just ask for the referral and nothing more. And so I think like just remembering those things and making it as easy as possible will really land well for most people. 
I'm so glad that you mentioned that because a lot of times I think social media, there's these like blurred lines where you come off very friendly, Maria. So I feel like a lot of people view you as a big sister or somebody that they are really truly friends with because you give that experience while you are engaging with with your followers. And I know for some people, this might be their first go around. So they think, oh yeah, I know I know her through social media. So all I have to do is just tell her, hey, can you just send me a referral? For referral? This is what I'm applying for. But you got to give context. Like, yes, you're receiving the referral bonus, but at the same time, you're attaching your name to the person. And people usually have like a limit. Like it's not like I can refer a hundred different people. Right. And so you have to collective and it's a skill that I've learned on my own. Like I like prior, like a year ago in my social media journey, I tended to be a bit of more of a people pleaser where I would feel really bad if I didn't do what someone asked of me. But over the time I've been able to build the skill and I now like I'll clearly tell someone, Hey, like I don't personally see a fit for this role and your experiences. I think it's probably like, it's difficult for me to put in the referral at this time, but I'm happy to, you know, put in a good word if you go through the process independently. And that's a hard message to give, but I think you have to remember, yes, someone is attaching their name to your candidacy. Like I am vouching for Dunya to take this role. You have to be careful with that vouching, right? Because people in your workplace might think like, you have no sense of judgment. Uh, I think referrals do have to be earned in that sense. Like you do have to make, and the way to do that is to make it really easy, make it super clear as to why you're qualified for a role and then also what you're looking for. And so I think if you do that, like you'll be golden, but don't take it for granted. They're still doing you a favor all things considered, you know? Yes, it's a huge favor. I mean, to get that referral, your resume now has become like VIP status. You kind of like skip the line. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so you're front of the line. So there's a lot weighing on the person who put their name as a referral, but then it's also on you because it's like, who are you? Because she referred you. Like, what can you showcase? Like, we're very interested now. So it's like, you kind of have to pick up your own load as well and show them why you were referred and why you're interested in this role and why you're a great fit and why you just allowed them to put your resume first before all these other other probably qualified candidates. But again, use your resources. I think that was my process in finally finding a job is just getting out of my comfort zone is, you know, clicking on that connect button in LinkedIn, finding individuals that work for the company if I want to learn more about the role. And you know what, sometimes it's great to just chat with them without even asking for a referral, but just to figure out, you know, a little bit more about this company. Who are you going to potentially work for? Sometimes we have this idea of what a company really is, but then you kind of find out truly what it is through their employees. So that's another great way to connect with people. And like you said, worst case scenario, somebody just says no, or you don't just get the interview. That's really it. But I will say after so many rejection letters, you can feel a little bit down. So you definitely need that support group. Do you, Did you have like a, so- a support group? I know maybe it was hard to kind of even bring your parents on this journey of pivoting careers. Like what did your parents think? And what peers did you surround yourself with that pushed you and motivated you to kind of like do this? This is this is what you want. Go after it. Yeah. So my parents are amazing. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. But uh, they, uh, and they've always encouraged me to pursue education and they've always cons- like encouraged me to be ambitious, but there's always a limit of Daisy parents, you know, and like <laughs> I like had to fight for the ability to move to New York city to start my career. That was not something that they were excited about or really wanted me to do moving away from home unmarried, like that is not something that's typical in my community in Orange County. And so I had to advocate for that. And similarly, I've had to kind of navigate my career path and then explain those choices later on, because I think it's hard to share movement into areas that are a little bit more unstable when you come from a background of focusing on like secure job and like 
making sure that you have a job for life, right? And so for me, it was medicine to finance, which was a difficult sell to begin with. And then mostly not from the security perspective, but mostly from the lifestyle perspective where they were like, you have to move to New York, you have to work 80 hours a week, like who's going to marry you kind of vibe. And then when it was finance to tech, it was very much like what is at the time four years ago, it was like, what is Uber? You know, like, is that a like real company? It's not like what now when I tell people I work at Uber, they're like, oh yeah, big tech, so stable. And I'm like, yes, but four years ago, it was a startup. It was not public company. It was Uber Eats within Uber. It was not the same what you see now, right? And so that was a very difficult sell to say, hey, mom and dad, I'm taking a career pivot into a less stable sector. I'm taking a pay cut because I did take a pay cut to move from finance to tech. And I am doing all of this independently. And so it was very much difficult. And I kind of brought them in towards the end once I had signed the offer because I knew that it was the right opportunity for me. I had a vision of what this company was going to be. And and that vision really came from me using the product and understanding the company and like really thinking like, I can't imagine a world without this company. And I think that conviction over time, now my parents like really trust my judgment because they're like, she's made like four very bold moves and they've worked out pretty nicely. So now it's fine. I don't need to like ask for these kind of things. But sometimes you just have to take those bold moves and and stick by your decision and stick by your gut. And then they will learn from you being confident in those skills. A lot of what I did uh, and when I was moving, I really just surrounded myself with my friends who I had met through like New York, like there's a pretty strong Muslim community in New York. And I met a lot of young working professionals who were either working in tech or working in finance or working in different areas and asked them for a lot of their perspective. But a lot of it, I would say 90% of it came from within. Like I was just thinking about what I wanted in my next career and being really clear to myself. Like I knew I wanted to work in a high growth company. I wanted to work somewhere with better work-life balance. I wanted to work somewhere that had like good internal growth opportunities. And those were kind of the three things that I focused on. And so then it was easy for me to do a mental checklist of, yes, this company hits all of those. Thank you for explaining that because I think sometimes, you know, obviously we want to include our parents on this journey, but at the same time, you have to also realize that you're an adult yourself and you have to start advocating for yourself. And yes, sometimes our parents can give us pushback in the very beginning until they do see real results. And those results also include the fact that like, wow, my daughter has grown. Like now she can make her own choices. And alhamdulillah, they're successful choices too. So I know tech to some people can be very scary because I think certain people have a certain idea of what it is and what skills you need. And you have to be somebody that knows how to do code and all this stuff. But there are other roles within tech that are, you know, you don't need to know how to code or anything like that. So I would love to just like, maybe if you can give us some advice to those who may still feel intimidated by tech roles. But to me, I feel like that is the next big thing. Those are the type of roles that everybody's getting into. And I think it's the most exciting type of roles to get into at this point right now. Yeah, it was something that I didn't realize either until four years ago when I was going through finding my own role. But really what we have to understand is that tech is both an industry and a type of role. And those words are sometimes used synonymously, but they're not. So when you think about the technology industry, that is a group of companies that are essentially just using 
technology to change the interface of the world. And there are tech companies that are in every sector. So there are fashion tech companies, there are healthcare tech companies, there's fintech companies, there are real estate tech companies, there are consumer tech companies, there are every kind of tech company exists in every field in every industry. And then there are technical, so it's the same abbreviation, but it's a different, completely different word. There are technical roles. So what that means is within tech companies, there are tech roles like software engineering, front end development, data science, like those kind of roles that require coding to do those jobs. But that doesn't mean that all tech companies only have tech jobs. They have tech jobs and then non-tech jobs. So there are non-coding and coding roles within a tech company. So if you think about a typical company, they'll have divisions across marketing, legal, finance, sales, strategy, clients, tax, all that. Clients, yeah. yeah, tax, all of that. And then of course, engineering, that's one function. But all these other functions are non-technical roles. And so when you're thinking about breaking into tech, I always recommend people focus on transferable skills. So let's say you're a teacher and you are working as a teacher, it might be really daunting to think, what can I do in tech? But what you have to remember is your skill sets are leadership. You obviously lead a class. Your skill sets are teaching. Your skill sets are planning, organizing, problem solving. You have skill sets in communication. You have skill sets in curriculum development, all these different skill sets. Now, what can you do in tech with that? Well, you could be a strategist, like you can develop business strategy. You can do learning and development. You can do diversity and inclusion. You could do HR, you could do recruiting, you can do all these other functions that have very similar skill sets. And so that's what I really try to focus people's attention on. And the other piece is that these non-coding roles can be very high paying. There are six figure roles within tech that do not require an ounce of code. And like think about program management, sales, account management, UX, design, all of these things do not require coding marketing managers, but they are very, very lucrative. And so really, Really just starting to view the industry as a whole and recognizing that there are hundreds and thousands of roles within those industries. And I firmly believe there's a place for anyone with any background in technology, as long as you can figure out the archetypes of roles that connect to your existing skill sets. What do you think are the top skills that these tech companies are looking for in more of like the the non-coding roles and whatnot? I would say there are five main transferable skills that I've seen. I've been a hiring manager where I've interviewed over hundreds of candidates, as well as worked within tech for four years and and have, through my Instagram, have seen how other tech companies run their processes. I would say it's really five major skill sets. The first is business acumen, which means an understanding of the business, the business model, the like landscape, the competitors, really just like the great thing about the skill is you can literally learn it by doing research, right? Like if you're going to work for a company, just go do the research, read the articles, understand the news, understand the industry. That's the first skill set. And then being able to have a perspective about those. That's the thing about tech is you won't get a question of like, tell me the most recent news that you heard about Microsoft. You'll get a question that's like, where do you think Microsoft should go in the next three years? And you should be able to answer that based on on the knowledge that you have, what you've read and things like that. So that's the first skill. The second would be clear and concise communication. So that's both written and oral communication. So can you think structuredly? Can you communicate your ideas structurally? Can you write clear and concise emails? Can you communicate your ideas effectively? All of those things fall into it. So many people, when they think communication, they think, oh, it's kind of fluffy and it's just how you speak. It's how you really present ideas 
And it's also how you change your way of presenting ideas based on your audience. So how I speak to you, Dunya, is very different than how I speak to my manager. And that should be the case. Like I should adjust my style and the way I talk and things like that to be most effective to the audience that I'm talking to. That's what I would say in terms of that piece. Uh, The third skill set is data-driven decision-making. So this is a non-coding skill set, but it requires analytical thinking. So I always tell people to separate technical from analytical. Everyone in tech is analytical. Not everyone is technical. And analytical really means like you should be able to look at data and make decisions. Everything we do in tech, even if it seems like, oh, it was just based on feeling or sentiment, it's not. Like even our marketing campaigns are so deep in data. They are like all numerical, right? And so that comfortability with numbers, with being able to make decisions based on data is really across all fields within technology. The fourth skill set I would say is stakeholder management. And I think this one is sometimes not understood or a little bit difficult, but basically what it means in the simplest way is how do you influence people without authority? So when you work in tech, it's super cross-functional, right? Like you might sit in accounting, but you need to work with product and marketing and sales. You're not their leader, right? Like you don't, you're not their manager. So how do you convince them to make your project priority? How do you convince them to like deliver things on time? How do you convince other people to work with the timeline in a project when you don't manage them? And that's really what stakeholder management is. And the last skill is slipping me right now at this point. So I'm going to stop. But if I remember it, I will like DM you on Instagram. Those are such great. Yeah, because people, you know, typically think of skills like, oh, just being organized, being communicative and stuff like that. But like taking it a step further and adding those layers, I think is super helpful because that's that's what truly allows you to stand out from the rest of the applicants. When you're really when you show how invested you are in this company without even being hired. So imagine how you're going to be when you are hired. So I think that's really, really helpful. You know, before we dive into just who we are in regards to our religion and then, you know, allowing that to kind of mesh with the culture of the workplace, I kind of want to talk about the interview process real quickly. What questions do you typically ask in the interview process when you are applying for a role? And then what tips do you have to get your resume noticed? Let's say you don't have a referral, unfortunately. What are some things that you add on your resume to make sure that if for some reason they did look at it, they're going to be like, oh, wow, amazed by, by what you've put on there? Yeah. So I'll start with the resume question first. I think the things that I add in my resume to make sure that they stand out and they're top line and all these other things is really one, I keep my resume to one page because studies show the recruiters look at resumes for like five seconds or something like super short time period. And so I can almost guarantee that something that's on page two is not going to get noticed, right? And so I will always recommend a one-page PDF resume because I've been a hiring manager and gotten gotten a Microsoft Docs and I'm not able to open it on my computer because I don't have Docs, right? And so like PDF for sure, spell check, really all the easy things, make sure you do those. The second is to quantify everything on your resume. So the biggest gap that I see that folks have is that they focus on the what, but they don't focus on the so what. And that means like, say you write a bullet point that say managed team of five across the company. That's the what, but so what, what did that do? What did that lead? What's the business impact? What actually happened? A better way to say that would be managed a team of five across the business, driving 10% in revenue increase year over year or something like that. I think to the extent that you can quantify every single bullet on your resume and also organize your experiences based on what is most relevant to the role 
going downwards is what I would say to drive the attention. Like the top real estate on your resume, like the top one third of your resume is the most important. If all that's there is your education, like move it and start putting like more relevant experiences and lead with strong dynamic verbs and go from there. So that's what I would say in terms of the actual resume. In terms of what questions do I ask? So I can give you this perspective from person looking for a job and also an interviewer. So if I am an interviewee, the things that I ask during an interview process, the first thing I make sure is I'm aware of what stage of the interview process I am in. So the questions that I recommend you ask to a recruiter are very different than the questions you should ask to the hiring manager. Like you should ask the hiring manager questions about the role and the business and the team, whereas you should ask the recruiter questions about compensation or next steps or timeline. So make sure you segment those two and ask relevant questions to the right people. And for the hiring manager and panelists specifically, this is a great time to ask business related questions that show your interest in the role. But don't go crazy and like try to be up leveling them by saying like, oh, I saw this very obscure fact in the news. Like, can you comment on it? Like that is that might come across as like too like showy, right? Like so a, qu- a good question could be what project are you most excited about that your team is working on in the next six months? What are the top three characteristics of someone who got promoted in this role six months ago? Or like really these questions that only that person can answer, right? And so the deeper you can go in there, I think generally the better. And on the other side, what are questions that I ask when I'm an interviewer? I'm most focused on ensuring that you can think in a logical way and you can think your way to an answer. Like you don't need the right answer right away. I just want to be able to see that you're able to go through that thought process and be dynamic and like humble throughout it. So sometimes I'll ask questions like, tell me about a time when you had to trade off between speed and quality. Or tell me about a time that you had a difficult deadline that was approaching. How did you organize? How did you get stakeholder buy-in? Things like that. I'll also sometimes ask questions about like, how would your teammates describe you? Do you think they would describe you accurately to get a sense of what they're like and how they think? And then the last thing I'll ask is like, what is your favorite feature of this product. So if you're working at Google, what's your favorite Google product and why? What can you suggest to make it better? And so remember that interviews are two ways. Like they really want you to contribute equally, right? And so I've seen situations where folks are so focused in getting their experiences across that they forget to engage in some of the questions that are a little bit more future focused. Thank you for all for all these truths. Honestly, sometimes I think we need to hear that because I think once we feel like once we got the interview, that's it, our foot is in the door, but not necessarily like you, this is your moment to really shine and showcase why you should work for them and what research you've done. So I'm so glad that you were able to kind of share these last bits and pieces from also your perspective as a hiring manager, because sometimes we don't know what's going on on that end. Do they really like us? What questions are they going to ask? What are they truly looking for? You know, so now we know like what is it that a hiring manager is truly looking for? And I think that is super important to kind of think about yourself, a perspective or a version of yourself working for the company in future terms, in future tense. Like they're looking for how, in what ways that you can contribute to this company. And I think obviously when you are working for a company, that's what you're aiming to do. You want you want to be more of an asset than a liability. You want to be able to be that team member that can brainstorm such incredible ideas that can be put in process of actually coming to fruition. So I think that's really exciting. And I'm so glad that you're able to share that. I think lastly, what I really want to touch on, and I think this is something that all of us 
struggle with, especially just, you know, coming from a Muslim background. For me personally, being Muslim is really heavily tied to my personality, to my values, to my morals, to how I even act in public, to my character and everything in between. So for me, it's very difficult to kind of like hide that or to kind of like leave that at the door. I think, like I said, I operate in that sense from from just being a Muslim in every decision that I make on a daily basis. And that does not exclude how I am in the workplace and what decisions I make in the workplace. But I do feel like for a lot of us, we do feel like this lower sense of belonging in the workplace. Now, I don't want to diminish the efforts that a lot of these companies are kind of taking and in, in making sure that they are working on diversity and inclusion. But how can they kind of take it a step further and really make somebody feel like one of their employees feel like they are part of the team? For me, I've never struggled in opening about opening up about my identity with my colleagues. But sometimes when it comes to like the overall company, it's kind of hard. You feel like your voice is kind of getting lost and you're not being acknowledged for who you are or what religion that you practice. Now, I do also understand that the workplace likes to tend to be more secular. Obviously, we want everybody to feel welcomed and not pinpoint one religion over the other. But Ramadan just passed. We just had Eid al-Fitr. It's now grabbing mainstream attention, obviously, like in regards to like fasting and why we fast and whatnot. It's beautiful to witness that across all social media channels and, and the news and whatnot. But I felt like my workplace kind of dropped the ball in that. Like there was absolutely no acknowledgement. But then there's a part of me that feels like, do I have a right to feel like they owe that acknowledgement? It's honestly just a very tricky thing to balance, to not know if how much they should kind of acknowledge different religions and different faiths and then versus them feeling like, no, this is a secular workplace and everybody's welcome and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, that's um, it's an interesting balance because I think that it really depends on what you are leaning on your workplace for. Like, are you leaning on your workplace to be your sole support system or are you looking at your workplace as simply your professional and career element, right? And I do think that there's a very strong value in bringing your full self to work. So I found that within tech, I've been able to bring my full self to work a lot more than say within finance, because there's been more folks within tech who look like me, who understand the like Muslim faith and things like that. I will caveat that it's never as mainstream as, say, Christmas, right, or as some of the other holidays. And I I think personally, I don't have that expectation because I recognize that we live in a Western country and we we don't live in, say, the Middle East. And and so I personally don't feel that sense of, of my workplace isn't doing enough. But I think that on an ongoing basis, as long as your company continues to commit to growth and development and can commit to flexibility and can commit to ability to understand other faiths. I think that's like a lot of the area. Now, I don't always think that it's on us as Muslims to have to be the ones to drive this change. Like I think there are functions within a company like diversity and inclusion and learning and development that take this initiative on. But I do think in the spirit of being a good thought partner, I'm always willing to contribute like my perspective in the sense of I've always been the one to approach my manager with, hey, Ramadan's coming up. So I want to adjust my schedule like this. I want to, you know, move a little bit of hours. I need to take this day off. I want to do no meeting Fridays. Like I take that on myself and I will always advocate for myself because I think that there is some power that comes with your own ability to recognize your needs and then share those. Because I think sometimes the 
reason that a lot of us get jaded with the corporate world is because we have these expectations and they're not met. And then we feel like we need to go to a different company. And I will say that the grass is not always greener, like 90% of the time. And so being able to equip yourself with the resources, like resource templates to ask for EDOF, templates to shift your Ramadan schedule, templates to account for prayer during the day. Like all of these are resources that I personally share that I've seen like other accounts share. Um, And the more that we can equip ourselves with these, I think the happier generally we'll be. And hopefully in the next 50 years, it'll become so, so mainstream that Eid is a national holiday, inshallah. But until we get there, I think that it's, you know, as long as you can feel empowered to ask for what you need and you're being received with accountability and encouragement on the other end, then I think that's generally what I request. I want to now like transition and talk about more so happy hour and finding a place to pray at work. Like how can you kind of still feel like you are part of the workplace without having to attend happy hour and then still feel like you're part of your faith by not, you know, missing prayers and trying your best to make your prayers even in the workplace. And I know this is a struggle for a lot of people when it comes to praying on time. But if you are an individual who does want to, how do you find the space to do so at the workplace, even when you have meetings and and whatnot? And then when it comes to happy hour, like that's not a comfortable setting for me personally. Some other people can go there and obviously they can refrain from drinking and and all that. But there's some of us, I still don't feel comfortable in that setting. So what do I do if I still want to connect with my peers and then my manager and and discuss other things with them, you know, kind of like build upon our relationship. So I was wondering if you have any tips and advice in regards to that. I think that I've gotten more and more comfortable with being my authentic self at work as I've progressed in my career. When I first started working in banking, it was difficult for me to create the space to step out for prayer or really, you know, advocate for what I needed because I was so junior in my career. And I didn't have, you know, Muslim women or Muslims in general in the industry to have that example to look to. And so with the happy hour situation, especially in a male dominated area, what I ended up doing was just, you know, getting a soda or water or something like that. But as I've gotten more senior in my career and gotten to a place where I can control the social situations, I've always tried to make it a little bit more inclusive by saying, oh, why don't we do this over dinner instead of at happy hour? Or why don't we do this in the office where folks can, you know, choose their drink of beverage or things like that. And so I think just being more intentional, I think a lot of companies have moved in that direction where especially with the pandemic, folks have realized that, everyone has like a different lifestyle and have learned to be a little bit more accommodating. On the prayer piece, I think most big tech companies now are super understanding and like will have a meditation room, for example, like we have a meditation room that I use for prayer. And that's been really like easy and helpful. What I've learned to do was you have to almost schedule out how you're going to show up with your identity. So what I do is I do 25 minute meetings instead of 30 minute meetings so that I have five minutes in between different meetings to, you know, if I need to pray or if I need to do a do or do something like that. So even something as tactical as like really making your calendar work for you and your faith is something that's super important. The same thing with asking for off or asking for like a modified schedule during Ramadan. So I my manager about doing no meeting Friday so that I could attend Friday sermon and also shifting some of my meetings during the work week so that I could start a little bit later because of like longer nights in Ramadan. And so typically what I think my advice would be to folks is like, 
no one is going to be able to anticipate your needs unless it's like such a amazing work culture where they have a ton of Muslims. But in normal corporate America or like big tech companies, no one's going to be able to anticipate your needs. And so the best way to do is to know what your needs are, advocate for them and give the appropriate amount of time and heads up so that folks can work around it. And usually I've never faced any face like any setbacks with that. Like people are always, oh, yes, like, thank you for letting me know. Is there anything else? I can do. And so that's typically what I recommend. Thank you. I honestly appreciate that response. I know that would help a lot of people out there because that's so true. I think a lot of times I was getting disappointed, but then I realized it was a lot of uncommunicated expectations on my end. And you can't anticipate them to know what it is that you need, just like you explained in this moment, because yeah, you have to have these discussions. You have to communicate it. And honestly, we are in a different like day and age where you do feel more supported. You do see more people talking about it. You do see more workplaces being more inclusive. Yes, maybe at my job, we still have happy hour. But guess what? It's actually now happening within our like inside of our company. So it's like or inside of our office. So it's like, yeah, you get to just chill. You don't have to like partake in their drinking or anything like that. You're still in your office setting. So you're still in a comfortable setting. And when it comes to praying, yeah, I, I think just having these conversations with your manager. Also, I realized like maybe you can gauge some of these things in the interview process. Maybe you could see what they're all about when it comes to their culture. Ask these questions. These are things that are really important to you. I think it's best to kind of like talk about it from the very start. So you know what to expect. And so they know what to expect. So I think these were really helpful. Also, aside from that, like in within my company, we also have a wellness room. So they call it wellness room. So you could do whatever it is that you want in there. You can pray. You could take a break in there. You can take a phone call in there. You can do as you please. So sometimes you just have to kind of look for these things um, and, and your company does offer them. But again, if they're important for you, maybe include that in your job search and include those in, in your interview questions um, when you are trying to interview the company that you're working for, that you want to work for. So I think it's important. I honestly just want to thank you, Marianne. This conversation was just so beneficial. I truly admire you. I admire your work ethic. I admire the content you share. I admire how resourceful you are. I don't think maybe you do know, but I don't think you really know to the extent of how much you've helped so many women kind of see themselves in you in such a leadership role in a very senior role, mashallah. So I honestly just wish you so much success. But before I let you go, I would love for you to kind of like talk to us about ways that we can connect with you. People can kind of still follow you and, you know, any upcoming projects you may have or any parting words that you may have. Oh, thank you so much, Dania. I appreciate you having me here. I think that what you're doing and the podcast and resources you're creating are also super needed in the Muslim community. And so I, I think that it's always great when two creators can come together and, and do something that's better for the community. So thank you for having me. In terms of finding me and staying connected, my most active platform is on Instagram. I'm at Life with Mars, two A's on Instagram. And that's the best way to get in touch with me. I'm pretty active and respond to a lot of DMs. So that would be the best way to get in touch with me. In terms of upcoming projects, I have a few things on the content calendar that I'm really excited about. I'm going to be doing a series for Breaking Into Tech this summer. So I'm excited about that. And then inshallah, I'll be launching a newsletter and YouTube in the coming months. So for longer form, and that's a lot of what my audience has been asking for. And so inshallah, that's upcoming. So if you want to stay connected, follow me on Instagram, and we'll go from there. Thank you. Honestly, and I, I will make sure to add your Instagram handle to the episode notes so people can connect with you. But I'm pretty sure majority of the people know who you are. <laughs> like I had so many people tell me bring her on. And yes, of course, it was just such an honor to have you on. But thank you, Maria. And like I said, it it was, it was a pleasure and inshallah, we can continue to witness you succeed and grow. Inshallah. Thank you, Dunya. Thanks everyone for listening. Talk to you soon. 